Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hi, welcome to Life's a Pitch. My name is Mike Calvin. I'm joined by Tony Evans of the Evening Standard and Tom Hopkinson of The People. Big Sam's apparently into meditation. He'll need to be chilled on Wednesday night, beat Everton and Sunderland will stay up. Newcastle and Norwich will go down. No great surprise there, but somehow Man City might fail to qualify for the Champions League. Join us on a search for context. But first, Sunderland. He's done it again, hasn't he? Well, he has, and that's remarkable, really, because they did look dead and buried. I mean, Defoe's goals have done a lot to keep them up, but um, it, it's amazing. I mean, um, Allardyce has never gone down, and it looks like he's the, the unsinkable Sam. <laughs> the unsinkable Sam. Also, he saved himself and saved the club probably in January. That's the key, isn't it? Actually strengthening from a position of weakness, if you see what I mean. Yeah, what was fascinating, I mean, I remember speaking to him in press conferences after games um, just before Christmas, and he was almost at his wit's end with the, the players. It was like he'd given everyone in the squad, after coming in, given everyone a chance to go out there and show him that, that they deserve to, to be there. And, of course, we all know that Big Sam is excellent in the transfer market. His contacts have always been superb, haven't they? And uh, he seems to have pulled off. I mean, bringing in uh, Wabi Kazri was a, a masterstroke in the end, or even though he hasn't had, uh, he hasn't been brilliant all the time since he's come in, but he, he's been excellent in the last couple of weeks. And, um, you know, he's done a great job. I think Kershoff as well. I mean, uh, I remember seeing him at Tottenham. Well, we were, into, we were at the game, we were there, weren't we? And it was laughable. You know, this was a, a kid who'd come from Bayern Munich and you're expecting big things of him. Came on in the centre of defence and he was woeful. But credit to Big Sam again because he, he's moved him into midfield, that defensive role. And, and alongside Lee Catamol, who I think deserves a, an extraordinary amount of credit mm. for the turnaround at, at Sunderland in recent weeks, they, they've all merged together. And, and yeah, he's, he's, that, that January signing spree has worked very well for him. One of the players who really does stand out for me, although he's not a, a regular, is Duncan Watmore. Now, there's someone who's actually come into football from the other side, as it were, you know, get his mm. first class honours degree, having been kicked out of uh, Manchester United very early, build his career again at Altrincham. Now, I always think when he comes on, he just gives them that extra spark in the last 20, 25 minutes. Yeah, he's quick, he's direct, you know, he causes havoc, doesn't he? And, you know, he changes the game. You know, it's, uh, when you've got someone with this pace, it, it, it takes defences out of shape. And so, yeah, he's made a massive impact. Even so, you look at, you look at the signings, despite the signings and despite everything, they still look like a team that were going to go down. And, not, you know, they've just... Allardyce has organised them in a way that... I didn't think it was possible. 
Mm. And I think what's, sorry, I was just going to say what's interesting with Watmore as well, but given his academic background and also his dad being uh, in football mm. administration, you know, he's, he's almost viewed as a, he's not your typical footballer at all, is he? I know Allardyce calls him his roadrunner, but he has this sort of air of a lad who almost doesn't fit in with the rest mm. of the team and yet everyone seems to love him. But, there's, but there is this great sort of fallacy that all footballers are thick. Now, you know, mm. you cannot play a game at this level when you are... You know, it's not to do with intellectual achievement. It's actually having the brain... Football intelligence, yeah. isn't it, though, yeah. as well? You know, I mean, you, we speak to however many players a, a season, don't we? And, you know, they're, on the whole, they can all hold a, a perfectly normal conversation with you and, and at times, you know, very intelligent. So it is, it is laughable to say that, you know, there is yeah, a stereotype. I, yeah, it's, um, it's very much... You know, the, 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 the world they're living in doesn't, you know, sort of lend itself to... Um, to you know, reading philosophy and all that sort of thing. So you're never going to get a conversation like that with them. But the price enough, you know. There's a very few of them. Who you, well, like like across, you know, sort of any any sort of uh, society. There's very few people you think about. He's really thick. Mm -hmm. We are making the, the assumption that Everton aren't going to put up much, much resistance. <laughs> well, I was at uh, Leicester over the weekend, and there was absolutely no resistance from them there. I mean, quite a shocking performance from uh, from Everton, barring that moment uh, from Morales when he, he scored a very good goal. But they, they've just, yeah, they, they don't seem to be offering anything for Martinez at the moment. It looks like a, a dressing room that isn't playing for the manager, and I would expect Sunderland, given everything they're fighting for, I would uh, expect them to go and... Uh, Pick up a good result. Yeah. What about the Newcastle situation, Tony? You know, you know Rafa. Mm. He's organised them, but that's not enough. Yeah, there was there, there's not enough quality there. I think when he got to St James's Park, he was shocked because, like all managers, he thinks, you know, I'll go in and you know the the, the professional footballs at the you know, top flight. Oh, yeah, I'll be able to organise them. There'll be enough talent there. There wasn't. You know, they they missed what five good chances at Villa Park. The only team not to beat Villa. Mm. All season, and it was a really poor performance. I think he was absolutely um, he, he was disconsolate after afterwards, um, and that won't continue if the if Sunderland win, uh, he'll be looking for another job in the summer. You think he'll leave? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, without a doubt, he'll be gone if uh, Newcastle go down. Mm. Can Newcastle ever move forward while Mike Ashley is the owner? I don't see why not. Um, I mean, he showed ambition in bringing Rafa Benitez in. Uh, we all know now, mm. uh, look, hindsight's a great thing, we all know now if he'd done it a couple of months earlier, there is a chance that Rafa would have got him out of the mire. So, you know, I, th I think he has to be willing to, to show that, that sort of endeavour again and maybe bring in a manager um, who, who will uh, do the same sort of job that Rafa's done. Obviously, he's not going to be that sort of level, but I, I don't see any reason why Ashley can't turn it around, but he just has to invest. I, I think it's a, Newcastle's in a really dangerous situation now. If there's any year not to go down, it's this one. Uh, the difference in the, the finances are absolutely stunning. The team that finishes bottom next year will get in the region of £100 million. So Ashley's cash cow has, has gone down and um, I don't think it'll be a real struggle for them to get back up. I think they've got a window of a year to get up because after that you're going to get like uh, the, the relegated teams are going to have bigger um, parachute payments and we're going to start seeing yo-yo teams. Uh, I think Newcastle have got a, a And, and they're talking about with a wage bill of about £70 million, 
there aren't many relegation clauses in the contracts, are there? No, I think Townsend's got one, hasn't he? I mm. think he's got an £8 million uh, clause, which John Joe Shelby has already said, uh, he said a few weeks ago, didn't he, that he would be willing to stay at the club. Mm. He's um, been a disaster so far. Yeah, he? He, hasn't, he hasn't been mm. the signing that uh, everyone expected him to be, has he? Uh, yeah, funnily enough, in the Championship, he might actually be, be perfect for them down there yeah. because he is, we all know when, he's, when his head's on his game, he is a very good footballer. But this summer is absolutely huge for Mike Ashley. I mean, everything that's gone in the past for him with Newcastle United and with the fans... He, he's the recruitment for him, for Lee Charnley and everyone who is involved in the running of that club. They have to get the appointment of the next manager absolutely bang on because, as Tony says, you know it is that that window of year. But of course, last time they were relegated, they came straight back at the first attempt. And you know if they can hold on to perhaps five or so of those players that, that they've got now, there is the basis of a side that has got what it takes to get out of the championship. Mm, it's a great. Truism, isn't it? You know, if you've got championship players, you're going to end up in the championship. And I suppose you could, you know, refer that to what's gone on at Norwich. Well, yeah, I mean, Norwich remind me a little bit of Burnley a couple of years ago. You know, they they, they, they come up, they didn't have enough quality. They've gone back down. I think um, you could see there wasn't enough goals in that side. Um, there wasn't enough belief in that side. They, they, they've gone into leading positions quite a few games during the season and lost. And um, well, funnily enough, I think they'll be better for their experience in the Premier League. And they might do a Burnley and come come back up. I think they'll keep faith with Alex Neil. And, you know, I think he, he, they should do because he has been fantastic mm. throughout his career. And, um, and I think you know they've got a good opportunities, unlike Newcastle, to come right back up and then consolidate once they go up. I think mm. what Neil's learned this season, he was quite outspoken uh, after the weekend, wasn't he? After yeah, the there's a real sense that, that the... the the dam burst there, didn't it? It had been cracked and then mm. the frustration The frustration went. came out, yeah, mm. but, but he, he said they didn't learn from the mistakes of the last time they were promoted when they didn't recruit well enough and they didn't recruit well enough this time round. I actually thought Stephen Naismith would be a very good signing for them, but it hasn't worked out for him mm. there. But as you say, I think Alex Neil of everyone at Norwich will be the one who really benefits so I hope they give him a year to, to try to get mm. them back up again. But the initial signs aren't great you know, we're, we're speaking here on, on Monday and David McNally the chief executive has just announced he's resigning you know, it's well, in flux, that, isn't it? Because was a, he announced he was resigning. Then there was a U-turn, and you know, mm. no one seems to quite know what's going on up there. But again, whether that's just initial twenty-four hours, forty-eight hours, you know, the kind of let's yeah. throw everything up in the air and see where it lands. I don't know. I, I suspect there'll, as you say, there'll be a bit of perspective on it by uh, by the next fortnight or so. Mm. What about you know? There is going to be a, an overheated manager market as well as a transfer market this summer. Mm. Um, it seems that Roberto Martinez has completely lost the fans at Everton. Any way back? Well, yeah. I mean, I think the problem for Everton is they don't know what the, what they should do at this point. You know, they, I mean, Martinez has been really good at some part of, uh, of sort of his management. You know, the youth system and and which is pretty good anyway. You know, sort of improving that uh, and whether they should stick with that or whether they should look for an established manager. I mean, there's some mad names being thrown around in the past few weeks. What about Rafa? Well, Rafa would be perfect for him, wouldn't it? You know, it's not too uh, small a club for Rafa. Yeah, I think um, <laughs> I think at this stage, anyone the Premier. <laughs> league is, uh, is good enough but you know it'd be it, it'd be the sort of perfect environment where he could go in organize them there's there's enough good players there there's a youth system and and, and improve them uh, I, th I think he's probably lost the fans already as well so <laughs> but no I, I'm, I'm not so sure Martinez will be sacked really mm. That's, what, what makes you say that just um th there's a bit of indecision there and and Ken Wright doesn't like sacking his managers mm. You know, already people are lining up. It seems you know we all know how they all play the game, and I thought it was really quite intriguing. Let's put it like that. 
when Eddie Howe revealed himself to be a boyhood Everton fan. <laughs> That's straight out of the Martinez playbook. Straight, isn't it? straight. Out. Yeah, I mean, I know Ken Wright is he's a huge fan of Martinez, isn't he? Mm. But I also know uh, he really likes Eddie Howe, and it's someone that he's been keeping tabs on uh, over a long period of time. I think that there's a massive decision for them to make, and I don't think, you know, I think again, I think they've probably got a couple of weeks now where they need to sit down and decide before they start mm. pushing the boat out on any transfers or pushing through any mm. any targets. You know, what you know, which manager are we going to be doing this with? And I, I, I everything that. I've heard about any potential successor to Martinez if he does go is that they want someone with Premier League experience so mm, even now you know we've been hearing the likes of uh, Kike Sanchez Flores his name thrown in Mark Hughes as you say Eddie Howe so um, Frank Frank De Boer's sort of come on Frank, Frank De Boer is, is, me, he's please, desperate for it isn't he I think yeah. he's been throwing his name out there but whether or not they would entertain uh, entertain that uh, I don't know no it'll be someone who's managing the Premier League yeah if you look around the other clubs you know we mentioned Kike Sanchez Flores doesn't look long for this world at Watford. Uh, there's a sense that maybe Tony Pulis might have run his race at West Brom. What about uh, you've got Ronald Koeman? You know, there's a sense of restlessness there. Mm. Is there going to be a lot of turmoil in the market this summer? Well, I think you know when you when you look at someone like Koeman, I think he'll he'll look at the situation, and unless there is an, an obviously better job around. I think he'll stay put. You know, there's. Um, I, I think there'll be a little bit less than you know. Perhaps it looks on the face of it. I mean, Pulis at, at West Brom. I suppose him and Jeremy Peace never looked like a, never looked like a, the perfect match anyway. Um, but again, wh where would he go to? You know, he'd probably have to take a, a trip down into the Championship. You know, it's, um, so I think there'll be a lot of people who who are not quite happy. One thing best they put, especially with the you know the sort of the extra money that's in the Premier League, and there'll be bigger transfer budgets. Anywhere else you can see, Tom? I don't know. It'd be fascinating with Manchester United, really, won't it? I mean, that's that's the big one um, as to whether Mourinho comes in. And I mean, Mourinho is absolutely adamant he's got the job, but Van Gaal seems equally as convinced that he's going to be around next season as well. And and I, I think that that could be uh, that could be the one that really sets the tone for for every other club. Van Aal's interesting because he's he, he's always been completely you know sort of sort of straight down the line. I'll be here next year, except after the semi-final, there was a little bit of a, a doubt about him. Um, when asked about next year, he said, "You know, you have to ask the boards about that. Will be their decision." And I wonder whether he's beginning to doubt it. But if they qualify for the top four and win the cup, it's going to be impossible to get rid of them. Well, it's not. I don't think it is because I, I still think it's papering over the cracks of, of what has not been a, a good season by Manchester United okay. standards at all. But, I know but that's a football man talking about a football decision. Man United isn't run by a football a, man. I was about to say, I said that's, that, that's a rational view of it, but um, Ed Woodward has a different view. <laughs> and, you know, I don't think any of us has a, a, a great deal of um, respect for his decision-making in football uh, matters. And, um, you know, I could see, I could see Van Aal being there next season. We'll see. I'm not convinced by that, I have <laughs> yeah. to say. I, I mean, look, again, you, you could see him being there, but I just don't think it would be the right decision. Oh, I mean, it's definitely not for, the for, right all, decision. for all this talk about, uh, oh, I've brought through the kids, I've given youth a chance at Old Trafford, he's given them a chance because he's had no other option because of the injuries that have, mm. have, it's a, have taken it's a, place. It's the last throw of the dice. And you go double six, you know. It's, um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, there, there is no way that this is a coherent strategy. So, yeah, mm. I mean, you're hundred percent right. It, it, it's madness for United to keep him. But you know, it's, uh, it was madness for United not to sack him at Christmas. Talking of madness, how mad is it that we've got this prospect of Manchester City failing to qualify for the Champions League for Pep Guardiola? Well, it's um, 
it's funny in its own way. You know, it's uh, it's not funny at the Etihad, as I should, <laughs> I should imagine, but it, it, it's astounding. With, with that squad, I mean, and it just shows the whole. Um, you know, people are talking about Pep in uh, Munich and saying he was a failure there. Was he a failure? You know, so he won titles and all that. So, semi-finals of the Champions League. I think we can say the Pellegrini ex- experiment there, even though they won the league and even though they won league cups, is an a- absolute failure. You know. It was probably a good idea to bring him in when he arrived, sort of to calm things down after the madness of Mancini. But it probably would have made sense to keep him there for two years and mm-hmm. then move him on. And in the second of those years, last season, they should have revamped that squad. They should have had a clear out. Yaya Torre should have been, you know, sent as far away as possible from Manchester and, and get, you know, sort of, because the, the, the spending power they've got, and they've got a good squad. They've still got a good squads. But, you know, this, they've, I've never seen a team with so many good players switch off so often. You're absolutely right about him being brought in, Pellegrini, to, to restore a bit of calm after Mancini, but, but calmness doesn't win. No. Mm. Uh, trophy after trophy, you know, sometimes you need a manager with yeah. Mancini's desire, his devilment, his belligerence to, to, to kick the team where they need to be kicked and in the direction they need to be shoved mm. in uh, to, to get the best out of them. And, I mean, for, for them to be in the semi-final of the Champions League uh, last midweek and for, well, certain estimates between 5,000 and 10,000, the, the maximum number, who stayed behind to applaud Pellegrini for mm. what he's done, winning a you know the league title in one of three years, winning the capital uh, one cup as it was. You know, yeah. I just think that's extraordinary that, that more people didn't you, stay Tom, behind. That there's apathy on the pitch and off it. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of uh, there's real disappointment at City uh, mm. at what might have been. You know, as we say, uh, only a fortnight mm. or so ago, uh, fans mm. were beginning to wonder if uh, Pellegrini would wave them goodbye. Holding the European Cup aloft, and of course that fell. So of course there's a little bit of disappointment from that. But I mean, you look you look at the likes of Torre. I remember being I was up at Villa about a month ago, five weeks ago, and and Torre was struggling to unlock. Villa in the first half, there was no no spark in the side. Silver had lost that little bit of creative edge, and it was only when De Bruyne came back from his injury that, that the side really sparked again mm. and and got into life. And of course, that seems to be they seem to be drifting towards the end of the season now, don't they? Rather than absolutely driving for it, which of course under Mancini and under mm. Pellegrini um, they they did to begin with. How many survive? If you look at it, you know, we're hearing a lot of talk that Pep doesn't fancy Joe Hart. Mm. You know, talk of just to Stegen coming in from Barcelona. De Bruyne's been terrific, Aguero, terrific, and who else? Well, who else indeed, because you look at the way they've played, there's not many that you want to keep there, is there? I mean, the, the, the bonus for him is that he's got De Bruyne, and, you know, and that's fantastic. Sterling, you know, who, um, who hasn't had the greatest of seasons, but you'd think... You know, it can improve. He's got, you know, Fernando and Fernandino. Mm, yeah, probably. I think need two new centre halves. Um, we could even need three now with, with company as well. With this mm. this latest injury, four mm. months out. I mean, the, his injury record has never been great, but this season, you yeah. know, you, you feel for him so much. But but you you know, Otamendi hasn't proved himself Manchester City quality. He's probably had a better season Mangala's this season. Really. Mangala has never been Manchester City quality, and with with company injured, but yeah. even. Uh, uh, left and right back, you know, you, you're looking there mm. of, of Zabaleta, Kolarov, they've seen better days now, is it time to move them on? So Guardiola could be coming in and looking at having to have a whole new defensive unit, you know, five, six, seven players including the keeper and and, and players to play regularly across the back well, force. You know, pe- people talk about Guardiola, you know, so say, oh, he's never really had to do a building job, you know, he, he's got fully formed clubs, well, now he's got <laughs> to yeah. build this. Yeah. What would represent success for him then in that 
in that context next season will we be under immediate pressure to start winning things? Well, I think people will expect that. I think um, a realistic expectation would be the top four, you know, uh, a cup and a, a long run in the Champions League. Um, well, certainly the knockout rounds of the Champions League. I think they're a long way from being a title contender. And when you look at the, you know, sort of what's happened this year, there's, there's quite a few teams that appear at this stage better equipped to uh, go into that top four. Mm. Arsene Wenger made a really good point that we almost need to change our thinking. You know, there's no longer an elite established top four. Mm. It's a lot more democratic now or meritocratic. OK, Leicester, you know, the unbelievables have won the, have won the title. But is there a germ of truth in what he was saying? I think he's probably hiding behind that a little bit. I, I think there is still very much uh, an established top four. I still think when we all sit down to do to write our predictions at the start of next season, it will be a brave man who doesn't say that uh, a Manchester United, a Manchester City, an Arsenal or a Chelsea will win the title. It's not to say that we'll be right, but you, you're still, at the moment, given that we know the, they've all got so much money anyway, and given this influx of money that's going to come in, mm. they're going to be able to be offering players £300,000 a week plus. Mm. You know, this is astonishing, uh, astonishing sums of money. Whereas the likes of Leicester, yes, they've won the Premier League this year. Mm. Yes, they're going to make probably £200 or so million pounds from their achievements this time out. They're still going to be offering players £50,000, £60,000, £70,000 a week because there's no guarantee that they're going to achieve the same as they have done next season. So I still think for now that there is very much an established top order uh, and I think there's probably there might be five or six teams in it rather than just a top four, but I think I think Wenger's probably using it to hide behind a little bit. I slightly disagree with Tom there because I think the, the, the new deal, the, the money coming in, means that the teams in the Premier League don't have to be fin financially bullied by the big four like they used to be. Mm. Basically, they can, to a certain extent, compete with wages. But more to the point... They can outspend everyone else except Real Madrid, Barcelona, uh, PSG and Bayern Munich, only arguably Bayern Munich. And so they'll have, the Premier League will have the pick of the Wales players, essentially, apart from those other clubs, which gives, uh, you know, sort of... But still, the clubs with the richest owners are, are still getting... They're, they're still being given the same amount of TV mm. revenue as the smaller oh, yeah, clubs, are proportionally, so. they're still... Yeah. 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 But, but, you know, as I say, that makes them less susceptible to being financially bullied. What about internal transfers, if I can use that term? Daniel Sturridge, you know, he's adamant that he's happy at Liverpool, thinks they're on the verge of special things. Still a lot of talk about him going to Arsenal. Yeah, and this has been bubbling away, not necessarily the Arsenal link, but it's been bubbling away that he fancied a return to, to London for some mm. time, hasn't it? I mean, there's no chance of him going back to Chelsea because I, I still think there are uh, one or two people in positions of power there who uh, weren't best pleased with the way he left yeah. that time. So, you know, looking at it, Spurs are definitely in the, the hunt for a striker. Pochettino mm. told us as much at his press conference on, on Friday, so whether that might be um, a, a viable option for, for Sturridge as well. But, I mean, you could see him fitting into Arsenal and, and they are, as much as I like Giroud and think he gets a very bad press, Arsenal are crying out for someone mm. to shoulder the burden of mm. uh, goals with him. Mm. What does Spurs need to take that last final step to becoming champions? Well, I mean, they do need another striker, but I think more importantly, they need some leadership. Uh, one of the things about Pochettino, one of the worries about Pochettino is that he wants a young group who'll do everything he says, you know, that, you know who won't question him. And, and essentially, that works fine. They do the two-a-day training sessions and everything's good. On the pitch, though, there are not many leaders there. There are not many strong characters. The only two, really, are uh, Deli Ali and Eric Dyer. And they're both very, very young. And, you know, against Chelsea... Ali was missing and Dyer lost his head completely and at a time when 
you know, when they were two one up against Chelsea, Chelsea pulled that goal back. They need needed someone with experience. Say, okay, someone who'd been there before. Let's calm it all down. The only one with any experience really is Larice, and he's in goal, so it doesn't really matter. I think they need someone with a bit of knowledge, a bit of nous, a bit of. You know, someone a bit older. The problem with young teams is they don't have leaders. Mm. Also, you've got, you know, statistically, you look at it, Leicester in the last 10 games have picked up 24 points. Tottenham in the same spell have picked up 16. Mm. Now, you know, there's a lot of noises off. It's because of Pochettino's training methods and he's run them into the ground, etc., etc. I'm not sure I buy that. What do you think? Well, I don't know. I mean, what's what's been fascinating with uh, the way the season has ended for for all those clubs is is that how, just how far they've fallen behind Leicester City. You know, I think you look down to Arsenal. Uh, are they twelve points plus uh, mm. or twelve points behind Leicester mm. City? Sixteen points, something like that. Um, so, to be fair to Spurs, you know, at least they've they've kept on Leicester's coattails until you know it's only two games really. A couple of games ago, we were still thinking there was a chance that they were going to take Leicester right to the end. So, I think, you know, I think they deserve credit for for everything they've done. This season, and I think Pochettino. I, I, I disagree slightly with Tony. I think Pochettino will look back on the season and say, actually, it was that defeat against Leicester, which which proved costly, and the four games at the start of the season where we uh, where we drew rather than picking up. Oh, sorry, they lost the first one, didn't they? And then I think drew the next three, and and that really has been the difference as to why they've not been title winners this time out. West Ham, when uh, the night after Leicester drew, and they had the chance to go top. And they look, they look so tired just before the international break. Look so tired. But every team has that at some stage, don't yeah. they? You know, and, and the difference is that Leicester, when they've looked a little bit tired this season, they've they've managed to eke out a draw, mm. or or uh, you know, nicked it at the, at the mm. end. And and you know, look, it's been an amazing story at Leicester, and I've been as happy as anyone to see it. But they have had their luck along the way, oh, which you need so, yeah, to, yeah. to win titles. You know, every team who, even the great Manchester United sides, have had that bit mm. of luck, and and perhaps that's that's one mm. thing that has just. You, you were there on Saturday, Tom. Yeah. Give us a sense of the atmosphere there. You know, everyone's written their colour pieces about it, um, but there's no substitute for actually being there. What no, was it, like? it, was, it was Bedlam. Uh, it's probably the best way to describe it. I mean, the, the journey down to the stadium from the train station was just incredible. You know, bunting mm. hanging uh, from every lamppost and uh, pictures of players hanging from uh, lampposts as well and horns pipping and, and, you know, the noise there. It was, it was like being at a carnival. I think uh, one of the papers uh, described it as the Leicester Fiesta, didn't they? And, and it really was. It was, it was mm. astonishing. And it's, it's a very multicultural city as well, Leicester. And, and one of the things you noticed was it everybody was out celebrating. It really brought every community, every background together and when, when you approached the ground the first thing you saw was the, the funfair which was going on, you know, people walking around this funfair dressed in pizzas in honour of Claudio Ranieri, <laughs> these Italian voices you kept hearing all around, I think there were about a thousand people had, had come over from Italy to, to support Ranieri as well, so it was an incredible day and, and inside the stadium as well, um, the noise has been excellent all season, the, mm. the atmosphere there has been they've generated, what, has, been, clappers? has been great Yeah. yeah. But what's interesting, if you think about Fulham with the clappers, it always sounds a bit twee but Leicester have somehow managed to make mm. it quite raucous with these mm. these little clackers, and um, and when Bocelli was singing, I mean, it was just you know spine tingling uh, stuff to be there, and it is an absolute privilege to be there. You know, you think of the the great sporting events that we've all been fortunate enough to cover, and, and that was one of them. And uh, the noise when when Morgan and Ranieri lifted the trophy was just you know it was ear piercing. So mm. yeah, it's, it's brilliant, and it was it was absolutely what they deserved for everything they've done this season. Daft question, you know, probably not the first on this show. Ranieri's got to be manager of the year, isn't he? Oh yeah, I mean, you know, it's a. Uh, I, I think if there can't be any other candidates, you know, it's a uh, to win the league with Leicester. I mean, 
notwithstanding all we said about a bit of luck and all that sort of thing, it's just yeah, it's just a remarkable achievement. Uh, manager, of the, manager of the century. <laughs> well, there was a lovely moment just as he, they were announcing uh, the players onto the pitch and the, the management staff and Ranieri was just stood in the tunnel and as, as they were about to announce his name for him to come out to collect his medal, uh, the man on the uh, tannoy said, uh, you know, he'll never, this man will never know quite what he's done for this city and for this football club and just, just summed it up completely because I don't think he ever will mm. fully grasp and fully comprehend everything that uh, he's done for Leicester. Mm. We end the programme, Tony, please, by looking at... You know, almost like the, the direct opposite of the joy that you saw at, at Leicester. You know, the, the recurring, enduring tragedy of Hillsborough. Mm. The documentary which was shown on Sunday nights had a huge impact on people. You were there, you were in the documentary. Can you share your thoughts about where we are now and where you were then? Um, well, then, that's a... Uh I mean, you're in the middle of a nightmare. Um, most people had it worse than me, you know. It's a, a, you know, so I was not in those pens, but I saw the the carnage, a close hands, and I saw a close hand the failure of the authorities, of the police, and the ambulance services to help, and that that has haunted me for the 27 years since. And more than anything, during the cover-up and the demonisation of people like me, you know, the. the People, people would say to me, people would say to me all the time, you know, at, at nice dinner parties, middle-class dinner parties down south, with me wife would say, yeah, you're a but just admit it, you know, he's rushed the gates and you're all drunk. And it was always, you know, it was beyond comprehension that they could think that they did that. So, so it's, it's nice to, for it to be resolved that, but what most of all bothered me is that this was, this was a, a huge public event and the people who we should have relied on to to, to, to to keep us safe, the people we should have trusted, failed abjectly in the duties and then lied and threw the blame for 27 years. And one of the things that's driven me on is that this is, this is not about football, it's not about Liverpool, it's not about me. And what it is, it's about public safety. And, and it's about being able to trust the authorities to take responsibility for their own failings, and I think that's, that's just such a, a, a bigger issue than than just football. And I think that's what we're we're resolving now. And I think for the families, I think it's it's wonderful to have the truth. All of us who've been privileged to meet those families have been touched, almost scarred by their um, defiance and their generosity of spirit, and the way that they fought together. You've seen them more than the most. Do they feel they've got closure now? I don't think it's closure. I think it's, it's way off closure. I think those who uh, were responsible need to accept, accept that in a, a court of law. And um, will, it, will there ever be complete closure? Um, no, I think what was lost on that day was too big to, for it ever to be resolved. But I think once people finally once the law takes its full course, as it should have done 27 years ago, I think there'll be a lot clo closer to closure. Will it ever end for any of us? No. You can't unsee things. We have the truth, but do we have justice? You decide. Thanks for joining us.
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 